Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, this morning we're in Ephesians 5, and we'll start in at verse 22. Uh, this is the wives submit to your husband. I've been putting this off as long as I can. Um, and so this morning I've, I've got to speak on this verse. But before I do, I would like to make a few remarks about pedo-baptism in the Middle Ages. No? Okay, well, we'll plunge into this verse. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant, really, to actually address the verse itself. We've been looking at a lot of the background concepts and the lead-up scriptures to this one um, over the past several weeks. And, but I'm a little bit hesitant, and it's not because my life is in danger. <laughs> Evidently, not only is it in danger, it's in outer space. Or something, but the, uh, but it's, not, it's not because it's a dangerous thing, which it is. Because we have alerted security, and uh, they are prepared to come rescue me. So all, all that's taken care of. So, uh, but that's really not why, because after all, this is the Word of God. It is what the Bible says. When the Bible says, submit to your husbands, uh, it is not given to us to negotiate or to um, uh, set to one side the Word of God. We obey the Word of God. So our task this morning is to know what does that mean. So that... That's not why I'm, I'm hesitant. I, and, and I'm not hesitant because it sounds like a throwback conce- uh, concept. You know, wives should be submissive to the husband. Oh, that's, that's a throwback to the, to the ancient, ancient world of the 1950s. You know, oh, you just want women to, to uh, wear high heels and pearls when they do housework and all that. You remember June Cleaver? Anybody remember Leave it to Beaver? Leave it to Beaver still good? I'm getting blank, blank stares. Okay. Leave it to Beaver was a sitcom in the late 50s, early 60s. And uh, uh, Beaver was this young boy and had a, a slightly older brother, Wally. And they would have adventures and there would always be a nice moral to the end of the tale. But the thing was, Beaver's mom, June Cleaver, always did her housework in heels and pearls. You know? And since then, June has become sort of like... Uh, the, the archetype image of the suppressed wife. You know, she, you know, you have to dress up, you have to wear heels, you have to wear pearls whenever you do housework. And, oh, we don't want women to be June Cleaver anymore. Uh, you know, we've moved beyond that. And so submitting to your husband's wife, that's a throwback to June Cleaver. Do you know why she wore heels? And I'll, I'll give you a hint. It wasn't because the producers wanted to make sure all the women in America got the message to dress up even when they're doing housework. That wasn't it. I I had to look this up. She wore heels because after the first season of the show, when she didn't wear heels, the boys grew during between the the seasons. And they kept getting taller. And the producer said, you got to wear heels so that these kids will look like little boys still. And so it was nothing but a theatrical uh, ruse. That's why she wore the heels. Ah, but the pearls. Barbara Billingsley was the actress who played June Cleaver, and she had a surgical scar on her neck, and she wore pearls to hide the scar. So the next time somebody says, oh, well, we don't want the heels and the pearls and all that, say, wait a minute, that had a reason. And the reason was perfectly expl- explainable. It was that she wanted to uh, they wanted to convey these were children and to hide her, her, her scar. Now, the other thing about that is, think about this. How many times have you looked at somebody else's marriage and said, boy, that's a dumb marriage? How many times have you looked at your own marriage 
and said it's not a dumb marriage. Okay. But you know, how many times have you looked at somebody else's marriage and you and you said, I don't understand why they're doing that. You know, I could never put up with that. I couldn't do that. And you know, and you make all these sort of judgments about other people, and it turns out there's a perfectly rational explanation of why they are and uh, what they are and why they do what they do. And that's that's sort of what I learned from finding out that Beaver's mom was actually, you know, it's just a matter of theatrics and covering a, a surgical scar. But I'm, I'm not hesitant to preach on this thing because it's a throwback to some antiquated idea of women in the home um, because the Word of God doesn't throw back to anything. The Word of God is actually Word of God, past, present, future. Uh, you know, the, the, the grass withers and the flower fades, uh, but the Word of God endures forever. And so that, that's really not it. My hesitation in preaching on this topic is that human nature being what it is, we always look at the Word of God and our, our temptation is to interpret it to our own advantage. This is true ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve and uh, you know, had problems in their marriage. But ever since then, uh, the human heart is deceitful, and who can know it? And so my hesitation preaching from that is that um, am I, have I gone deep enough? Have I gone far enough? Have I, you know, have I really grasped what the Scripture is saying? Because I, you don't need the Word of Wayne. You need the Word of God. And so let's, let's pray together. You know, when we get to the sermon time a little bit later, what I want you to do is be praying. Uh, first, that I won't say something stupid for which I'll have to pay for the rest of the week at home. But, but you know, pray that, that what God once said would be said. And then especially pray that whatever is launched out into the air, before it gets to your ear, the Holy Spirit will take it and turn it and give you an understanding that is in concert with the Word of God. So that, that's our goal this morning, is to understand, apply, absorb, embrace the Word of God in this regard. Okay? All right? Well, we've had a lot of run-up to it, and here we are. Uh, let's, let's read it together. This is uh, uh, Ephesians 5, and we'll read 22 through 24. And wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, we're thankful that as we are on a journey in life, your Holy Spirit gives us resources and guidance and direction. That, Father, when we come in into the presence of difficulties and challenges and problems that your Holy Spirit leads us to discover your answers. Father, I'm thankful that though we are frail and, and lacking, though we are limited and finite, yet your Holy Spirit is able to use us for your infinite eternal glory. And so, Father, while we take each day and travel the path, we just pray your Holy Spirit would have perfect sway, perfect control, and lead us unto your, yourself into the presence of your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Debbie and I met in high school, our senior year in high school. We, I had been uh, 
moved in. Dad had uh, retired from the Navy and took a church in the, in the town. And uh, so that senior year in high school, we met in choir. Uh, I sat in the tenor section. My voice hadn't changed. Huh? But anyway, I sat in the tenor section, and uh, she was one row over and one desk up. And uh, we got to talking and uh, found out that uh, uh, her dad was a Methodist pastor. My dad was a Baptist pastor. And so we started telling Methodist and Baptist jokes back and forth and, um, and uh, started dating. And then about a year later, we got engaged. And naturally, we wanted the very best marriage possible. I wanted the very best marriage possible. So I did what I always do. I got a book on the subject. I know it's terribly romantic and it brings a tear to your eye. But we, we, we got this book and uh, we um, uh, uh, read the book together and we decided this, this is what we should do. This is what the Bible teaches. It was by a, a, a known um, uh, author uh, and uh, his, his take on things was, well, in, in, uh, in, in the home you have God who is the head. And he is the head of Jesus. And Jesus is the head of the husband. And the husband is the head of the wife. And the wife is the head of the children. And the children are the head of the dog. And the cat won't listen to anybody, so he was out. And so we read that and we said, well, there's scripture there and this is what we ought to do. And and, uh, it sounded good to me. You know, the wife should be submissive to the husband and and all that. So, so we said, well, that's what our relationship should be. And so we, we internalized this book and, and we tried to live it out. And I want you to know that there has never been a greater unmitigated disaster in the history of the world. I mean, this, come on, you know Debbie. Some of you know her. Think about her being submissive to me. Okay, you know, it, it's sort of, stretches the mind a little bit. But uh, what we realized was this is silly. Not that the Bible was wrong. God is not wrong. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians says that God is the head of Christ, Christ the head of the husband, husband head of the wife. It says that. And so we believe that. And we try to understand that. And we try to apply it. The problem was this book had been written by a guy who was probably mad at his wife. And uh, lost too many arguments. And so he, he had this system whereby he could shut her down. Just, hey, wait, you need to be submissive. And that would, that would settle the whole thing. And it didn't work for us. Because no two marriages are exactly alike. No two people are exactly alike. So how could two marriages be exactly alike? There are biblical principles and teachings that apply to every marriage. There are certain facts and certain truths that apply to every marriage. But how that works out day to day, how that works out in the details, is going to change from person to person, from marriage to marriage. Not that it's relative, but that uh, you know, the, the particular stances that you have to deal with are going to be uh, various between different marriages. Getting ready for this, I asked... Uh, uh, some of the women in the church uh, for the last couple of weeks, I'd, I'd say, well, what do you think of when the Bible says be submissive to your husband? You know what their answer was, the most common answer? I don't think anything about it. I don't do it. <laughs> you know, but, the, but the idea was, you know, I'm not going to be servile. I'm not going to check my brain at the door. It's not as though... Um, 
uh, you know, I've, I've married a guy who is the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge, and so I'm just waiting for him to tell me what to do. I mean, it, it, in point of fact, it's in th- this thing about submission, it, it's a little bit more complex than just a military ordering of things. Um, you know, you do, I say yes, and that's all that, that, that matters. It's a little deeper than that. By the way, I, I had the nerve to ask the men at men's breakfast yesterday um, what they thought of that verse. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me before. I said, guys... What do you think of when it says your wife should be submissive to you? And after a round of laughter, um, (laughs) the men started telling stories about how competent their wives were and how they trusted their wives with various parts of the home and the marriage. Talked a lot about finances, you know, and uh, uh, basically uh, what what we understood is, you you know, at least... I don't know, half the time or so, the wife is going to be better at, at keeping the checkbook than the man is. You know? And that there are just certain things that, that different people do well differently. And one of the, I was going to say tricks of marriage, one of the tasks of marriage is getting together as two unique individuals and discovering where each one has a strength and a weakness, melding that together as one. That's the meaning of the word marriage. Melding that together as one so that together you are doing the work and solving the problems and going through the journey of marriage together as one, not as two with one, you know, lecturing the other all the time. And so... uh, when we come to this thing about wives being submissive, absolutely wives, it, it has a biblical meaning and it needs to be applied to the marriage. And by the way, next week we'll, we'll, we'll get to the husbands and we'll start talking about them. I don't know if that'll be one or two, maybe three weeks. I have no idea at this point. Um, just depends on how much nerve I have on that. But, um, but when we get to that, that, the husband has a tremendous responsibility to love his wife, just like Christ did who died for the church. So uh, we'll get to that, and that's part of the context. You've, you've got to keep that in mind. But this morning we're looking at wives and wives being submissive to your husbands. You know, as you grow up, you go to school, and uh, you may not have known this, but you went to a school and you took classes on what it meant to be married. You didn't know you had enrolled in the class. You didn't know you were ever going to be tested on the content, but you uh, were in a class in which you were studying what does it mean to be married. And your professor, your teachers, were most likely were your mom and your dad or whoever were the primary caregivers in, in your life, however that worked out. You were looking at them and you were saying, oh, so that's what a husband does. So that's what a wife does. And you decided on the basis of that class I'm going to do it just like that, or I'm never going to do it just like that. And and variations of that. You went to school to learn what it was to be married, and you learned from people who were, by the way, imperfect, and you got an impression of what marriage should be. You may have decided, well, mom and dad aren't doing it so well, but boy, my friend down the road, his mom and dad, they're terrific. And you built up this fantastic idea of what their marriage was like. Or you may have looked, you may have looked at, Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> you know, but you may have, may have looked at, at the culture, at media, at, at television. But you came up with an impression of what marriage should be. You went to school your whole life to figure out what marriage should be. And then you got married to somebody who had also gone to school. The problem is that other person did not go to the same school you did and did not learn the same lessons you did. 
So you'll come into your marriage and you have this idea, here's what a husband should be, here's what a wife should be. And, and your spouse comes into the marriage saying, well, here's what a husband should be and here's what a wife should be. And they won't match. By and large, they will not match. And so what, what the husband will say are things like, mother didn't do it that way. <laughs> yeah, please don't do that, guys. I mean, I, you don't have to be a prophet to tell you, don't do that. <laughs> but he'll think it. You know, he'll make comparisons. You know, mom did it this way, the house was that way, the cooking was this way, her, her, she did this. And meanwhile, she's looking at him and saying, you know, you're not measuring up to my dad. Don't tell him that either. I thought, I thought the husband was supposed to do this. I thought he was supposed to do that. And so you've gone to school, you've learned these two views, and they're not, they're not working together. Here's what you do. You have to give each other the freedom to be the unique husband, the unique wife that God wants you to be. You have to give each other the freedom to let the Holy Spirit work out in your life your unique personality, your unique skill set, your unique gifts, and work all that together for his glory and bring that in and marry it together to the same uh, sort of resources that abide in your spouse. That's one of the, the, the tasks of marriage is to understand we're going to be unique here. Let's discover what it is. It's also, by the way, one of the great joys of marriage. But it doesn't happen unless the wife says, I will submit my mental image, my preconceptions, I will submit my view of what husband, wife should be. I will submit that to this marriage, to this husband in particular. I'm not saying she gives in on the conversation, but what she says is, my marriage to him is more important than my fantasy world in my mind. So that's one of the, the, the tasks of marriage is to discover the joy and, and frankly, the freedom and to give that to one another, the freedom to be their unique self. The other thing you have to do, folks, is give yourself the freedom to be the unique husband, the unique wife that God wants you to be. If you've got an image in your mind, oh, I've got to be like mom, you know, as a wife, I, I've got to do everything she did. Look, you're not her. You are not she, excuse me. But, you know, that's not who you are. And if you're trying to be somebody else, even though it might, might be the saint of all saints, if you're trying to be somebody that you are not, you, you're going to distort things in the home. So you submit yourself to the marriage, and that means submitting to the husband that you have, and he's going to be the, the goal. You know, melding with him, marrying with him is going to be the goal of that process. Now, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's a very hard and very difficult thing to do. I suspect that Paul, uh, we might argue, has in mind here the Christian marriage where you have a Christian husband and a Christian wife. And so when you talk about uh, loving your wife and you talk about submitting to your husband, all that he has said around this passage is already uh, in place. You know, before we got to verse 22, we had to get through the verse on be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does being filled with the Holy Spirit mean? It means singing to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It means making melody to God in your heart. It means submitting yourselves one to another. Just that general submission that is true of all Christians to the will of God and to their uh, calling as servants 
to other people. We, we, we've come through all that. We saw at the end of that and already hinted here in verse uh, 23 that the marriage relationship is to be a picture and is to proclaim the beauty of God's grace in, in Christ and the church. And so the marriage relationship and the, and the, and, and the, uh, the marriage itself is to be sort of a, a sermon in life about what God has done for us in Christ. And the, and the magnitude of his grace and his glory and his mercy working in his life. So we've already come through that. We could say, well, that's, that's the context of it. And that, that certainly um, makes uh, the, the, the wife's submission to the husband a little bit easier to understand. But that is not always the case. In fact, if you turn with me just briefly to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about the same topic. The same topic of wives being subject to their husbands or submissive to their husbands. But in Peter, he talks about what happens when the wife is a believer and her husband is not a believer. Probably back in the New Testament days, that meant that they were married and the wife became a Christian. The husband did not follow her into the faith. And so now there is this this distinction between the two. And here's what Peter says about that. This is uh, 1 Peter 3, 1. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, even if your husband is not a believer, doesn't believe the word of the gospel, even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct said, wives, when you apply this, this notion that you're going to be uh, serving and as Jesus served and you're going to be walking in the spirit as, as, as is the gift to every believer, that when that comes into your marriage, even an unbelieving husband can't escape noticing the distinction in your life. See, if you're married to somebody who's not a believer, you share the gospel with them. You tell them about the love of God in Christ Jesus. You tell them how it is that they can be saved. And after you tell them, and you know that they know, then you live it. You don't need to be a nag. You know what a nag is? Nagging. Nagging is telling somebody to do something they haven't forgotten to do. And so uh, rather than being this constant drip and drain where, where, you know, it's just a constant assault, constant assault, suddenly the husband sees in his wife that, you know, she loves me in a way that no other person ever has. And she has a confidence and a strength that I've never seen in other people. What is this about her faith that makes her able to withstand things that I cannot? In other words, after you've preached the sermon in words... You preach the sermon in life and just make it be known by day-to-day example. And so Peter says that, and obviously there's no guarantee that the husband becomes a believer, but he says that's, that's the strategy here is you show what Jesus is like. You look like Jesus in the marriage. What did Jesus do? He came to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so that, that's what he's talking about, being, looking like Jesus. And then in verse 3, Peter says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. By the way, this is not a prohibition against nice clothing or uh, looking nice. If any of the men want to say amen to nice-looking wives, go ahead and say it. 
Thank you. Those of you who didn't, there's counseling after church. He says, but this, is, you know, this isn't a case where, oh, you're going to please God by looking just as mousy and dowdy as you possibly can. You know, you're, you're going to please God by becoming some kind of servile, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me for living kind of person. What he's saying is, don't let that be the sum total of it. He said, but let there be an inner beauty in your life. Let your adoring, adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. By the way, that word quiet, it doesn't mean don't ever speak and don't make any noise. It's a, it, it, the word quiet is in Greek, it's hesychia. It's a word that means living a quiet life that is not always confrontational and combative. And in fact, all Christians are told to live a quiet life. And that's, that's all he's saying, just bring that into the home. And when he sees that, when he sends a gentle and quiet spirit uh, in a quiet life. When he sees those things, where am I in here? I am here somewhere. Uh, with a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, called him Lord. So when Peter talks about submission, he talks about really putting Jesus up front and trying to look like Jesus to your husband so that he has in front of him a daily, constant reminder of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Well, very quickly, let's, let's run back to Ephesians. So I want us to get these verses in front of us because I can't preach another week on it. Okay. So in, in, in Ephesians 5.22, Paul says this. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is not about women in general submitting to men in general. It's about wives submitting to their own husband. In other words, this guy that you married, you make him first in your attention span above all other people. And you submit your life and your marriage to him. That, that uh, your, your life now is going to be defined by this marriage. You know, I mean, I mean if, if you want to really wreck your marriage and harm your marriage, just be married here and not there. You know, just be married at home, but not at work. Or not when you're out recreating. If you really want to wreck your marriage, just say things like, well, sure, I married you, but I have my friends. Guys, how many of you love to hear that? I didn't get a single amen on that. Okay. It, that's because it confused you, because it, it was a rhetorical question, and you didn't know what the answer was. But here's the deal. You submit to your husband and to your marriage to him. And that is, a, that is the, the reality everywhere you are. In every other relationship, you are a married woman and you are married to him. That's what it means. That's, that's what I think it means. And so submit yourselves to your own husbands. Verse 23 then picks up on the things we talked about last week. The husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Oh, here we go again. That means no matter what subject comes up, he's, he's, he's always right. I mean, that's been your experience, isn't it? You know? <laughs> but in everything, he's still your husband. In every venue, he's still your husband. 
Look, I, I talked about talking to the guys at, uh, at breakfast yesterday. Um, and one of the things they did, they just talked to a man admirably about their wives. There were about 15 of us. I forget exactly, 15, 20 of us. And uh, every man there spoke of how he had married somebody better than he was. Some of them were better at math and some were better at, 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 uh, uh, at, at uh, well, whatever it is. But you, you know how it works. Men understand that. But women understand that in everything, he is your husband. In every venue, in every challenge, whatever comes down, he's still your husband. And you're still committed to him. Now, we've talked about some of the things that, that submitting is not. Let me just give you or suggest to you a few things that, that submission might be, what submission of the wife to the husband might look like. I think, first of all, it means a believing wife is loyal to her husband. Now, I know that you're saying, well, faithful, of course that, you know, everybody knows that you're supposed to be faithful in the marriage. I'm, we're talking beyond that. We're talking about loyalty. We're talking about being attached to him in all things. You know, at the end of the uh, traditional marriage service, which uh, I continue to use, it was used at my wedding, but at the very end of it, it do you remember this at all? It says, uh, and she says, and thereto I pledge thee my troth. Some of you remember that. And the man, at the end of his vows, he says, and thereto I give thee my troth. Why he gives, she pledges, I don't know, but that's the way it is. You know what a troth is? Troth is trust and faith. It is trusting the other. And it says, thereto I trust you with my life. You know, when you get married, when you get married, I'm going to put it this way because I'm talking to the wives. Wives, when you marry that man, he gives you the power to destroy him. If, if, he's, if he's any kind of man at all, he loves you so much that one word, one action from you can destroy him and leave him in pain and misery for the rest of his life. And at the end of his vows, he says, I trust you. I trust you with my life. Guys, it works the same way the other side, but I'll get you next week. But you have a tremendous power. And so being submissive to your husband is a matter of being loyal to him. Uh, it, it means when you're out with your, your, your friends, your girlfriends, and they start telling jokes about what idiots their husbands are, and there are a lot of, okay, but, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about how, you know, and, and you've got a story in mind that you can tell about your husband in which he looks like the buffoon of the ages. Oh, yeah, you all got that story, right? Don't tell it. Don't ridicule him. Don't make fun of him in front of other people. Don't put him down. There's a comedian, uh, Phyllis Diller. You remember her? She used to tell jokes about her husband, called him Fang. Everybody laughed. He divorced her. He didn't like it. There's a lot of money coming in, but he didn't like it. And no man does. Being loyal means you're not going to ridicule him. You're not going to make fun of him. You're not going to put him down in other people. You're going to speak well of him and you're going to build him up in front of other people. It means being loyal. Uh, it means being supportive. And, and by that, I mean there, there are things that, that are going on in his life, and he just needs to know somebody is there for him. Somebody is, is going to stand beside him and help him. He just needs to know that there's at least one person on the planet that when he unburdens his soul, he's going to hear a kind word back. He's somebody to be um, supportive, someone to be caring. 
I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you, ladies. This is something you may not know. Men are fragile creatures. They break very, very easily. Now, when you're a guy and you're growing up, you know, the, the, there are rules for boys. You can't cry. Don't you dare cry. There's something wrong with you if you cry. But there's many a boy who's gone home and sobbed his way through the afternoon for what happened at school. But he couldn't tell anybody. He couldn't be vulnerable. Ladies, your, your husbands need someone who cares for them. Sometimes all he'll need is just somebody to go up and just put a hand on his shoulder and say, you know, thank you for the way you support our family. I know the boss is on your case. I know the commute is bad. I know you're suffering. I know that, I know that every day is pain and heartache. I know that uh, every night when you go to bed, you go to bed dreading the morning because you're going to have to go to work. And I know you do it for me. And I want to tell you thank you. It means caring for your husband. It will mean a lot of, of other things as well, but just sort of those as a, as a starter set of what it might mean to submit yourself to your husband. And I say that for those of you who are married, because it really doesn't matter if you're in the first year of marriage or the 45th year of marriage or in the 55th or the 62nd year of marriage. You're always discovering something new. And you're never quite finished. And there's always a little bit more to, to work on in, in, in getting closer and tighter together. And so I say this to, to wives as believers because I know you want to please God and you want to glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to have just an inkling of what it means to be a believer who brings Jesus Christ into her marriage for the sake of her husband. And I want you to have that image maybe give you some things to work on, a way to understand what's going on in your, in your marriage. I, I say this to, to the young girls uh, who are thinking about marriage or learning about marriage, whatever, uh, just so you have a better handle on what it means and, and what, it, what it's like. It'll be different for you. Nobody can chart the whole route for you. We can give you the basic outlines and the landmarks to, to guide you, but it's going to be an adventure. But uh, you need to know that a lot of it has to do with dying to self for the sake of another person whom you love, love enough to marry. I say this to our church so that we as a fellowship of believers can support marriages, that we can understand that sometimes people are going to be struggling and hurting in their homes. We need to pray for them. We also need to give them space and room to work through the problem. And once it's been worked through, not as a matter of gossip, but once it's been worked through, just say, you know, praise God for that and, and just move on in life. See, when, when we understand where this whole thing started, it all started when, when Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Once you understand that, then your understanding of being submissive as a wife to your husband just changes and it becomes something that you really can do. And it's not only infinitely doable, it is infinitely glorious. Let's pray together. Father, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our midst, open our eyes to things that need changing, open our eyes to things that need strengthening, open our eyes to the things for which we need to be thankful that you have already accomplished. But Father, I'm praying for the ladies of our church that your Holy Spirit would lead them to understand 
your plan, your role, your design for them as Christian believing wives. And Father, we pray all this for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.